Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. It's Friday, August 19th. Colorado's trails, campgrounds, and parks are getting more crowded, but surveys show the droves of visitors are overwhelmingly white and wealthy. A new initiative launching this summer hopes to change that. As KUNC Scott Franz reports, the state's new outdoor equity grants are helping people of color feel comfortable in nature. It's 10 minutes into a fly fishing lesson at Lincoln Hills, a summer camp in the mountains just west of Boulder. And the children are mostly catching the shrubs behind them. No fish has bits. But Tara Griffin isn't giving up. The black teenager from Aurora is wearing a shirt with a fish on it that says, keep it real. And Tara and his classmates are casting their flies deeper into the pond. I think I may have one. Then Tara feels a tug at the line. A trout pierces the pond's glassy surface. I was so excited that I had to keep it inside of me. Like, I was shaking. An hour later, Tara is still beaming about his first catch. It, it, was, it was a little bit little, you know, uh, but it was still cool. It, it was like the, the best experience of all time. Tara and the other kids who come to this day camp learn about much more than catching fish. They discover this place was created a century ago by black Coloradans who were not welcomed at public parks and open spaces during segregation. It's called Lincoln Hills, and its legacy of promoting racial equality lives on. This was a safe haven for black people from the 20s through the 60s. And... It was a, a great opportunity for people to come, they recreate. J.R. LaPierre is an outdoor guide at Lincoln Hills. He says the courses teach children of color they can have fun connecting with nature, regardless of their income, race, or level of experience in the outdoors. You see interviews that have been done and stories of not feeling comfortable being in the outdoors and, you know, black and brown kids and other marginalized youth and adults being told they don't belong. Right, So we're breaking down those barriers. That includes the high cost of outdoor gear and transportation, something Lincoln Hills pays for. Their mission is getting a boost this summer from the state, which is investing $1.8 million in outdoor programs that help underserved communities. Lincoln Hills is one of 43 groups getting the first round of money. LaPierre says it will boost attendance. Meanwhile, more than 100 miles to the north in the ski town of Steamboat Springs, a group called the Cycle Effect is also using the state money to break down barriers. When in doubt, it's always fun to just hang out and it's like a, it's, we're like a family on the trails. 14-year-old Vanessa Avitia joined the Girls Mountain Biking Club last year. She says she's learned how to tackle steep hills, pop wheelies, and much, much more. How to be a better person, how to be a better friend. My experience has been amazing. I love the cycle effect. After the girls carefully air up their tires, they form a circle for a meet and greet. A majority of the camp's athletes are people of color, and there are several adult translators in the group to simultaneously give the lessons in Spanish. 
Marketing director Carly West says the outdoor equity grant will help cover the cost of purchasing bikes, gear, and transportation. It also supports a new initiative. We've made a commitment that 70% of our athletes will be BIPOC, which in most of our communities is um, the Latinx community. West says the athletes stay with the program for several years. I get to come out and do this and ride bikes and see people who wouldn't normally be on bikes get out here and not only like give them the resources to get out here, but actually give them a space where they feel like they belong. Researchers with the Outdoor Foundation say three quarters of people who regularly visit the outdoors are Caucasian. Black and Latino people account for less than 7% of visits to national forests. The outdoor equity grants are rolling out in several Colorado counties, from a paddleboarding group in Loveland to a rock climbing camp for girls in Boulder. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. Water cuts are coming to some users along the Colorado River next year. They're not enough to keep the river's largest reservoirs from declining, though. The federal government promises to take action to keep water flowing to 40 million people in the southwest. But without firm agreements to conserve among the states that rely on it, what comes next for the river remains unclear. From KUNC, Alex Hager has more. States that use water from the Colorado River had 60 days this summer to conserve an unprecedented amount. That challenge proved too much. They could not agree on a deal. And the river still faces huge risks. The system is approaching a tipping point, And without action, we cannot protect the system and the millions of Americans who rely on this critical resource. That's Camille Kalimlim-Tudin, commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Reclamation. She told states to cut back on their water use or the feds would step in and do it for them. The deadline has now passed, and the feds so far are not mandating big cuts to water use. But with the Colorado River's supply-demand imbalance only growing, no one is off the hook yet. Again, Commissioner Tudin. It is by working together that we can achieve meaningful water management and conservation actions and find a sustainable future for the river that serves as the lifeblood of the American West. Reclamation did make one move to keep that lifeblood pumping. The agency issued relatively small increases in water cutbacks to Arizona, Nevada, and the country of Mexico. Those cuts were already agreed to, and they're not drastic. Arizona faces the steepest reductions. Arizona's willing to do our part, but only if other folks do do it with us. We can't be, um, continue to be the one who's doing most. Ted Cook runs the Central Arizona Project. The 300-mile canal delivers water to the Phoenix metro area, farms, and tribes. The CAP will take on the brunt of conservation next year, limiting water access for those users. We at least expect people to keep up with what Arizona is doing, and, and that has not been able to come together at this point. Because of some long-standing legal agreements, Arizona is often the most vulnerable to water cuts. But leaders in that state say that is untenable, and what the river desperately needs is shared sacrifice. Tom Bushatsky directs Arizona's Department of Water Resources. The most water in the lower basin is in California. The most water for agricultural use is coming out of California. We need California to participate with us. We can't do this alone. Bushatsky says he also wants to see firm commitments from the river's upper basin states of Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah. 
Leaders there rebuffed federal calls for conservation, saying they were using well below the amount they're legally entitled to. The new Inflation Reduction Act has $4 billion for conservation. Some states want to use it to restart programs that pay farmers to temporarily stop using water. But the last-minute influx of cash may have made negotiations even harder. Again, the Central Arizona Project's Ted Cook. And I don't think that's what the intent of Congress was, just to pay people one year at a time to not to not take their water. This is something that that would need to be repeated every single year until you're out of money and potentially out of water. We can't do that. Some onlookers say this tension between the states is setting the region up for a lot of trouble. State water leaders talk a big talk about collaboration, hinting that collective solutions are the only way out of this collective problem. But when they balked at this opportunity to find a big, uncomfortable compromise, Kyle Roerink says they left the door open for the federal government to step in. We always hear about, you know, these notions of everybody singing kumbaya and the collaboration is so wonderful and so great. You know, how, how many times have we heard that? But really what's happening is they're sharpening their knives. Roaring directs the Great Basin Water Network, a Nevada-based conservation group. He says states are running out of time to meet in the middle. If we don't get an all-hands-on-deck effort right now, we're just going to be realigning the deck chairs on, on sinking houseboats at Lakes Mead and Powell. He says without agreement among the seven states, it could be either federal legislation or a flurry of lawsuits that will decide the future of the Colorado River. Alex Hager, KUNC. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. Earlier this month, the White House gathered stakeholders from around the country to discuss evictions in the U.S. The goal of the summit was to build on resources created during the pandemic to protect people from eviction. An organization from Colorado was invited to contribute to the conversation. Sack Newman is the co-founder and executive director of the COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project. KUNC's Bo Baker spoke with Newman this week about the project and the state of evictions in Colorado. Zach, first off, congratulations on being highlighted by the White House. How was that for you? In- incredibly exciting and, and also just a little bit terrifying. We had to present on our model and, uh, you know, those things can always be a little nerve-wracking, but we were, we were thrilled to be up there and really excited to talk about the work we've been doing for the past two years here in Colorado. How did the COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project come to be? Where were you and what was on your mind? Yeah, I mean, I I think two years ago, if you had said, you know, in 2022, you'll be working on evictions and working on COVID-related evictions, I I would have not believed you. Um, I was doing, at the time, a lot of pro bono eviction defense work for clients, folks who usually weren't able to pay their rent, uh, representing them in court. Uh, providing, you know, legal services and support, just kind of as a volunteer. And when COVID happened, uh, I put a message up on social media and I basically said, you know, if anyone's struggling to pay your rent, if you're not sure about what you're going to do, if you need any support at all, drop me a line, send me a message. I'm happy to be supportive. I got off my account. I didn't get back on for 24 hours. And when I got back on, uh, I had like 500 messages. Strangers were reaching out. 
people somehow found my phone number and were texting me. And, and you have these moments in life where you're like, man, there's really something here. Uh, I think we went from there and, and we started as a community organizing project, just trying to do legal services and a little bit of you know, education and information. And, and from that, we built an organization of over 100 people. We do emergency rental assistance through the Colorado Stability Fund. We offer legal services. We have a policy shop. And I, I think our whole team has really just been very committed and very invested in this issue for over two years now. Zach, walk me through how the project would help someone facing eviction. So our philosophy is always make this as easy as you can for people. And so if you're coming to us, you come in through a single point of contact. And the first thing we try to do is just provide money. So through the Colorado Stability Fund, we're trying to understand how much rent debt you owe your landlord, um, seeing if you qualify for, for the federal emergency rental assistance program. And assuming you are, we'll make that payment as fast as we can. In most cases, Bo, that takes care of everything. Landlords just want to get paid. Tenants just want to pay them. A check takes care of 90% of the cases we see. For that other 10%, though, where there's some outstanding issue or there's some more challenging circumstance, in those cases, our fund will refer those clients to our firm, to the lawyers on our team. And our lawyers will then take those cases. What we find in most of those instances is the combination of that rental assistance and having access to a lawyer then resolves the situation. From your vantage point, are things getting better for renters in the state, especially considering from where you started in 2020? What does the picture look like today? I don't know if it's gotten better. I don't think it's gotten worse. I will say it's it's different. So when the pandemic started, you suddenly had a very significant chunk of, of our state workforce unable to go to work. People couldn't earn a living, they couldn't earn income, and as a result of that, they couldn't pay their rents. I think now people are mostly back to work, but the cost of housing has gone up dramatically. And so we see a number of our clients who are working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, but rent is you know 50 or 60% of their pre-tax income. So it's basically most of the money they earn after taxes. They have very little left over for food. They have very little left over for childcare. And if anything in the family budget goes wrong, they suddenly can't pay their rent. So we're really struggling as an organization and with our clients, or I should say alongside our clients, with the incredibly high cost of housing here in the state. Zach Newman is the co-founder and executive director of the COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project. Zach, appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Both. Thanks for taking an interest in our work. That's all for today on Colorado Edition. You can catch the Colorado Edition podcast every Friday, so please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. If there's a story you'd like to hear us cover on Colorado Edition, send us an email at coloradoedition at kunc.org. Our theme music is composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Other music in the show by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. Thank you so much for spending time with KUNC's Colorado Edition. See you next week. The new season of The Colorado Dream explores the Black immigrant experience in Aurora. 
It's told through the eyes of one African woman. I would sit on the beach and just daydream about coming to America. And the city of Aurora, that's working to become an inclusive home for all. In the last 20 years, uh, we have a new face of the city. I'm Stephanie Daniel. Join me for the Colorado Dream Newcomers Welcome. You can find the series at KUNC.org or wherever you get your podcasts.